0: And recording. What's up, everybody? It's Big John on Panic Attack. Sitting here on September 10th, 2022. And every American should know what tomorrow is the anniversary of the worst attack on American soil since Pearl Harbor. The worst terrorist attack ever on American soil. September 11th, 2001. So remember to like, share, subscribe, leave a comment, follow me on Getter and Twitter at the real underscore Big John, and this was where I was. September eleventh, two thousand one. Right after I light up. Of course the audio doesn't start when I want it to. So, let's put all the conspiracy theories beside. This was a terrorist attack, planned, executed, and carried out, well, (laughs) carried out and executed are the same thing, Uh, by... Islamic extremist. Most, well, we assume most of the people carrying out the terror attack did not know what was going on. Uh, they just thought they were hijacking an airplane, and then we're going to land kill some Americans, demand a ransom, go on about their asshole ways. For me, it was, uh, 2001. It was the start of my 98, 99, 2000, 2001. So my fourth year of Kent State, I was probably a junior. Because uh, my freshman year wasn't very good, so I was a little behind, uh, and I was working in a building called the Michael Schwartz Center. It was mostly offices. It's where the admissions office was, where the. Uh, where you paid your tuition. It's where just a lot of secretaries in general worked and different administrators. And uh, I worked the lunch counter there or snack counter. but. Um, and I'd only been there a few weeks. Uh, I got kind of moved around from my usual spot with dining services cuz I wasn't getting along with some people that worked at the the rec center at Kent State from so my boss that you know you're getting tired of this place and I inherited this new headache and I need my best pe- my best person over there So why don't you go over there and hold the fort down for me because you can work by yourself, be on your own. I don't have to worry about you. So I was like, alright, cool. A few weeks into the semester, kicking it the hardest. People were starting to like me. Uh, I was making friends with all the, the staff, the office workers whatever the hell those people over there did. And somebody came down from one of the offices. I'll just call her a secretary. Said an airplane hit one of the Twin Towers in New York City. And as a kid being, you know, uh, When I was a kid, I always wanted to live in New York. Seeing pictures of those big towers, I thought, wow, that would be so cool. And so first we thought it was an accident. Uh, They said it was like a commuter plane. Then a few minutes later, another guy came down and said, a second plane hit the other tower. We're under some kind of an attack. Like, what the heck? Now, I'd been at work for about one hour or so by this point, and then a few minutes later, or I don't know how it it all seemed to happen so quick because people kept bringing me updates and updates. And being that there was only one classroom in this building, there weren't many students around. Uh, The internet was still pretty new, you know, everyone still had dial-up or something, maybe DSL was the fastest thing going. And I walked across the hall and I I told one of the secretaries, get on CNN.com and see what's going on. Well. CNN.com crashed that day because so many people were at work when this happened, away from their families, didn't have internet and television and everything on your cell phone, so the, the newest, coolest way to get information was the information superhighway, the internet. And CNN.com just kept getting hit and hit and hit, more hits than it would ever got before. So another person comes down to me at my little snack counter, says a plane just hit the Pentagon. And there's a plane crashed on the Washington Mall, and a plane crashed in, in the, on the White House lawn, and or the White House was on fire, the Capitol was on fire, uh, you know. Near Kent State, there's a place called <laughs> the Ravenna Arsenal. In World War II, the US military was looking for inland bases with a lot of cloud cover. So, the Ravenna Arsenal is a big military ammunition dump and rumored to have everything from space aliens to nuclear missile silos there. The next Well, the first local innuendo or rumor was that the National Guard is flying through Kent on their way to the Ravenna Arsenal to st- stock up on whatever's at the Arsenal. They're shutting down, the military shut down Route 43 so they can get people to this secret base in Ravenna. <laughs> all morning I'm being inundated with all these stories rumors, and everybody was. You know, the media didn't know what to do. Nothing like this had ever happened in the United States. Nothing like this had ever happened anywhere. I mean, planes hijacked and crashed into buildings. It was unheard of. In 1993, the same people attacked the Twin Towers because that was the Center for Commerce, the World Trade Center and they wanted to topple one building into the other well, when that didn't work, they said, we'll just take down both buildings so there I am my boss came over to check on me uh, see if I was doing all right, and uh, I-, I was getting a little watery-eyed because, you know, you heard stories like, well, you know, in-, in any given day, there are 50,000 people in the World Trade Centers, and my boss, he's like, man, that's like all of the city of Kent and part of Ravenna, and he's like, man, I, I- You just can't, you know, none of us could put anything into words. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, who could have done something this big? And being the nerd and news junkie I am, Osama bin Laden popped into my head. And I think it was the summer before that, I'd just taken a terrorism class by Dr. Hanna Fraj, uh, a uh, Palestinian Christian, well, Catholic, from Jerusalem. So, this dude knew terrorism, and he's a great guy. Uh, he's not a terrorist, by the way, and so. For about a week I was the coolest person in the world because I I knew this stuff and people knew I knew it. And I'd always been fascinated by terrorism since I was a kid. You know, the the plane hijackings and bombings and things kind of just started in the 70s when I was born and then throughout the 80s. And political violence, violence to achieve a political means, always fascinated me. So there I am, my boss checking on me. Uh, He came over there to check on me a couple times. that's just the kind of day it was. Everybody loved everybody that day. We all cared and we all kind of said a prayer and i think it was the second time my boss came back to check on me because it was after the towers had collapsed and there was a uh, this guy standing down there and uh i guess they had a tv up in his office that they rolled out or something and he's like oh man yeah i saw that second plane hit and it came in like this and Man, they must have known just how to hit that building at the, the right angle and the, you know, something, the structural weak point. There was none of that. They just got fucking lucky. Uh, the terrorists got lucky, that is, the bastards. They got lucky. They hit the buildings at just the right spot. The steel trusses that held the floors, held the sides together, thus holding the floors up, they didn't melt. They softened. They got weak. They didn't go from solid steel to liquid. Also, the protective, the fireproof coating was sprayed on half-assed because of a fight between Union bosses and the Mafia. Some people say the building was held together with string and bubble gum and wire. It was getting ready to collapse anyway. Actually, Alex Jones said that, so it's probably true. So, anyways, my boss, Frank, he's just like, I I just, I can't, you know, sweetheart guy, Frank McGee, nicest boss I ever had in my life, and friend, great human being, um, could talk about anything with that man, politics, religion, girls, gossip, swap recipes, great cook uh So Frank's like, Yeah, hey, you can't t-. and this dude that's standing there telling us how the plane came in at the angle and the it hit just the, the right weak point in the structural vortex of the what you call it?" Uh, he's like, "Yeah, this guy goes, "Yeah, you just can't fathom this. You can't wrap your head around it." And I'm like, "Yeah, you can't fathom th- this and So, we thought 50, everybody thought 50,000 people had died that day. And 3,000 and some, you know, is too much. One is too much. But, man, we're standing there thinking 50,000 people work in those buildings. Well, actually, it's not, that wasn't the case. But, throughout the day, uh... Some reporter on TV said on an average day, 50,000 people pass through these buildings. But the three of us are standing there thinking, oh my God, 50,000 people just died. And I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I went in I sat down in the stall. I didn't take my pants down. I didn't have to go. I just needed to be by myself and I needed to pray. And... That was another thing about that day. Churches opened their doors and people just went and prayed. So I remember sitting there praying, God, please help those people in New York. And, you know, I'd always heard, you know, incredible stories like when there's an earthquake you know, weeks later they find somebody under a thing with, you know, the stuff, and still alive, that lived for two months under a rubble of an earthquake, drinking their own piss and eating their own shit. Okay, that's not quite true. But, with these Twin Towers, about 10-12 hours after the search, maybe 24 hours, I don't know. But they only pulled 19 or 20 living people from the rubble. So there I was, hearing all these rumors and innuendo and this and that. And then at 12 noon, Kent State was like, Nobody knows what the fuck's going on. We're closing it down. We've got the tallest building in Portage County in, uh, on our campus. People really thought this that day, that somehow the Kent State Library, the 12-story building, could be a target. You didn't know. You did not know. We've become so spoiled in the last 20 years that people that are 22 years old today, one, they don't understand what happened that day, two, they don't know what it's like to not have instant access to call your family, to text, uh, email. Hell, email's obsolete almost. Uh, because of texting and instant messaging but some people have never lived in a world without cell phone technology. I didn't have a cell phone September 11th 2001. A lot of people did not in Kent, Ohio uh, maybe you took advantage of you know the, a student discount at the bookstore where, I think 18th, you could still get a free shitty cell, well, there were only shitty cell phones back then, but you could still get a free cell phone if you signed your life away to a contract. But very few people had cell phones. And a lot of times they just didn't work. And phone lines and things across the United States were jammed up with people trying to find out if their relatives in New York were okay. So at noon, Kent State's campus, we're done. Everybody go home, be safe. I saw, looking out the window of that Michael Schwartz Center as I was getting ready to close up shop, and believe me, I closed up quick. I'm like, I gotta be someplace that is not here. I just wanted to get to my apartment. I wanted to get in front of a TV set. And I wanted to find out what was going on. And I wanted to get in touch with my family. So I look out the window and I see... It was almost like they were marching in columns. But there was like... From sidewalk... Through the street to the other sidewalk. If, if this is a sidewalk here, this is the street, and this is a sidewalk. Straight across that, that the, from one sidewalk to the other, across the street, there were kids going home from class. It was the biggest exodus of people I'd ever seen. The biggest mass of humanity I had ever seen until I went to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic and there were about, you know, a couple hundred thousand people in one building. But that day, 20,000 or so kids walked home from class all at once walked back to their dormitories, back to their apartments. Kids that commuted or needed a a ride home went to their friends' apartments. Everybody just went home and turned on television or if they had computer and internet, they, they got on the internet. So I closed my shit up, everything was done. I think my boss told me, just unplug everything, and I'll come get it later. You need to go home. Because I, I think my I was pale in the face, and I was, I was teary-eyed. I was fighting back tears. And he kept looking at me going, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I can't believe this. And, uh, like I said, I went into that bathroom stall, and I, I closed the stall door behind me and just sat there, praying, God, why did this happen? God, please help those people. And so, by the time I got out of work, got all my stuff closed up. There was nobody on Kent State's campus. It's like I expected to see a tumbleweed rolling across campus. It was that bare, uh, and this was still, you know, not very, very, very long after 12 p.m. And usually, you can't walk across that campus at that time without literally bumping into people. You know, there's 20,000 kids in one small space, and they're all either going to class or they're going to lunch, but everybody's, it seems like every student on campus is outside walking from like 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, especially because to get from the building I was at to my apartment, I had to... Walk past the food court and the uh, student center. The student union is what most universities call, it, but the the main building for all students to kind of congregate at. There was nobody around, and it was scary, eerily quiet. At a time of day when there's so many people talking and walking and cars driving. No cars, no buses, no people, no sound. Utter dead silence. I passed one kid. And I just, I'll always remember this kid, this kid. And we both noticed each other. We kind of crossed paths. And for one second, we made eye contact. And it seemed like a, longer than a second. It seemed like a, a few minutes. But we, we just kept walking. I wanted to speak. I wanted to say, did you hear? But it was like, it was too big. To speak about it was too much for words. Oh, did you hear? Fuck yeah, he probably heard about it. And it wasn't at that moment, it wasn't time for opinions or thoughts or, you know, know it all shit. It was just a devastating mind fuck. How does this happen? And I'm not going to offer an opinion. I just remember feeling that day so empty, t- so empty, scared, and lonely. I got back to my apartment, and my mom and my grandma were both working. And I remember... Getting an answering machine and just saying mom grandma they, they shut the campus down uh, I don't know what's going on but I just want you guys to know I'm, I'm safe I love you goodbye and man I, I hated that so much i so badly I needed to talk to a person I needed to talk to a human, so I sat there watching my my television, watching the news and the news started to flow in, a lot of people were going, well where's the president, where's President Bush? Well, it was a, a national emergency situation, and there's a protocol for where the the president needs to go, and so they they didn't even know what was going on, really. And anyways, I'm sitting in my apartment, and I'm watching, and you know George W. Bush came on and gave his address for the first time. And then he did an address, I think, later that night when it was safe to go back to Washington. And so, I remember it was dark out. I want to say it was like 7 o'clock, but I don't know. It might might have been later. Now we know it was Middle Eastern hijackers. Uh, I think we knew it was Al Qaeda they had a pretty damn good idea that it was Osama bin Laden's group which was Al Qaeda which by the way Al Qaeda stands for the list not nearly as scary sounding is it uh, Al Qaeda is far scarier than the list so I'm like, okay, I can leave my apartment now. And I went uh, I went to, I think it was Burger King or Wendy's. And right next to there was a gas station. And we, like I said, at this point we knew these were Middle Easterners. So, oh God, we're going to go to a war in the Middle East. Let's all buy fucking gasoline. And in the days after, some gas stations did jack the price all the way to $5 a gallon, which at that point, it was still, it might have still been a little under 2 bucks a gallon for gas. Yeah, at one time, gas was normally below $2 a gallon, and nonetheless... People were lined up around the block, blowing horns, trying to get that gasoline before the price went to $20 a gallon, or a million dollars a gallon, or whatever it was going to be. Finally got a hold of my family at home. Found out mom and grandma were okay, which pretty obvious they would have been, but that day you didn't know. Was this the first of many attacks? Was there more to come? Was there gonna be an invasion? What you know, were there gonna be bombs going off everywhere, left and right, right and left. It was one of those days where fear overwhelmed you fear of the unknown part of the greatest fear of all fear of the unknown we didn't know what would happen next because this could not happen in the united states and it just did so now what do we do Where do we go? What where where is safe if within the borders of these lower forty eight states is not safe? You gotta remember, the American foreign policy has always been keep war away from our shores. The closest war it ever gotten to the American shores was Pearl Harbor. Which was not Part of was not a state at that time, it was just an American military base. So now, in the heart of one of our major cities, we were attacked. and they had known a major terrorist attack was going to happen in the United States at some point. We just had a year before that, the uh, millennial terror plot was... uh, was stopped. They were going to blow up the Space Needle in Seattle on the eve of Y2K, or the year 2000. But out of that day, September 11th, 2001, the fear, fear, fear of the unknown, not knowing, that was in all of us. The next day, the most beautiful thing I ever saw happen, we came together as Americans. I thought they would close campus for a few days. But once the government said everything's okay, get back to work as soon as possible, because if we live in fear, the terrorists win. I'm walking to my job the next day and on a very liberal campus, I look up at the windows in the dormitories and Every window it seemed like had a three by five American flag in it I kid you not They tried to kill us. They tried to kill Americana the American way the American spirit and they made us stronger. For just a little while we were all Americans. And everyone had a American flag in their dormitory window. And that gave me goosebumps and made my hair stand up on my arms. It was in the, the newspapers, it was on the news television station September twelfth. Walmart's local Walmart runs out of American flags. You can't find an American flag in a Walmart or Kmart or Target anywhere in the area. And this was all over the United States, not just Northeast Ohio, not just Kent, not just Ravenna. I already had an American flag hanging in my window because uh, one thing I didn't have curtains. <laughs> Didn't even have a curtain rod in my little efficiency apartment. Didn't even have a kitchen. I had a bathroom and a living room and a hot plate that almost set the building on fire, but that's another story. (laughs) But I had that American flag in my window from day one. And now I go back to my apartment building after class and after work September 12th. Every apartment had some kind of an American flag in it. Where there was a big and little medium-sized ones, small ones. <coughs> the radio stations are blaring patriotic music. The, the parody songs start coming out. About how great America was and how bad the terrorists were and blah, blah, blah. And for a few days, a few weeks, few months, we were all just Americans and we loved each other. The Red Cross had to tell people, stop donating blood. We've got too much and we can't keep it all fresh. We can't store it all in our freezer vaults or whatever you do with blood. Cause people were just were like, well there's gonna be all these injuries and da da da. No. If you were underneath those buildings within a I don't know kind of radius, but if you were In, under, around those buildings, you were done. You were dust. There were very few casualties. I remember, or pardon me, very few injuries and mostly casualties. Uh, I can remember one of the documentaries I watched years later. The local trauma centers in New York said, oh, we started gearing up for all these. Victims to come and they never came. They were all dead. I remember (coughs) Another news report and documentaries There were people pounding nails and this guy went to see what the pounding was and people were Where the hell they got wood, I don't know, in the middle of New York City. I guess there's Home Depot and whatever the hell. But, they could hear the nails pounding. And people were making stretchers to carry the wounded out. And then suddenly that area where they were making those stretchers became a morgue. It was meant to be a triage (coughs) and they were meant to be stretchers to carry people (coughs) carry the sick and injured and wounded and the word quickly got out we don't need stretchers we need body bags how do we keep that from happening again it's a rhetorical question with no answer how do we come together again how do we keep it from happening again that's rhetorical you can't answer that because it was such an unfathomable unfathomable event we we don't know We don't know what to do. How do we prevent it? But the mystery wrapped inside a riddle, inside an enigma. In such a divisive time in the last 21 years since that day, the last 21 years since September 11th, 2001, how do we come together and just be Americans? Is this country really the most divided it's ever been along racial and class and gender lines? Is it really? Would another September 11th even bring us back together like it did that day? Or would it, would it, would this time, would it drive us apart even further? All I can say is I never want to feel the loneliness and the isolation I felt that day. The fear of the unknown. But at the same time, I want to feel the love that I shared with my fellow human being and the love I shared with other people in the days after that. People praying for one another people just going to church on a random Tuesday afternoon or evening. Why does it only have why does it only happen during a tragedy of that magnitude? Why can't we love each other like that every day? Why can't we just on a random Thursday night Open the doors of the church and say, let us love one another because love comes from God. Let us pray for one another. Let us pray for somebody 600 miles away or, what, 3,000 miles away. Somebody on on the West Coast, pray for some random person in New York that they don't know. God, please be with those people in New York City right now. I don't know who they are, but I know they need you. That's the way we felt September 11th and September 12th. All the rumors and and stories and things that were not true, all the the fuel of fear and anger, by loneliness and fear, all of that, but yet love showed through it all. Why can't we be like that every day? Alright, that's my September 11th story. God bless you guys love one another be the reason somebody feels loved god bless you all